0: Hello and welcome to Auric Digital's How to Make a Video Game podcast. Here, you'll be entertained, informed, and enlightened by the many goings-on within the studio as we introduce you to our projects, our colleagues, and give you a little insight into how we operate. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Auroc Digital podcast. My name's Matthew, audio designer, and co president to the wonderful Jess Rutland. How's it going, Jess?
1: It's going well. Jess Rutland over here, uh, business development associate, as it were. Uh, it's going well. It's going well. I'm excited for this episode. Uh, we get to listen to the other side of the mirror of the of the interview mirror. We need we get to know what it's like to be an interviewer today. Yeah.
0: Oh, are we about to delve into like oh, you 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 refer to it then as the the other side? Are, are we going into upside down territory? Is this like the the back end of of Auric Digital, the working machine that it is, and we're back to kind of let loose in there um, again because it's really cool. We, we, we've got a bit of a bit of a subseries developing of of uh, assisting potential interview candidates. You know, we we kind of talked loosely talked about this stuff in the past, and it's I think it's really really good that we talk about these sorts of stuff because we want to talk about games, we want to talk about the projects that we're working on, and stuff. All that stuff is amazing. Mm. but the stuff that's actually probably more helpful is like well how do you get a start in games how do you interview what questions should i ask what questions should i not ask all those sorts of things are super helpful you know
1: yeah absolutely and also it's more than anything else we want to be able to do something to help people to help the listeners to help our audience at home feel like they can they can achieve what they want to do and to get the confidence to do what it is that they want to do and if that's getting into games great if that's getting into any other career aspect as well. That's the important thing is that you can listen into the episode we've got coming up today. You can take it elsewhere. You can take the advice and apply it to other parts of your life. Uh, That's that's important to us as well, I think.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We've got Thomas back for uh, today's episode. Thomas Rawlings, our studio director. Um, A man that um, is very comprehensive, has a hell of a lot of detail in everything that he says. So it's going to be super, super good to have the guy back on. So let's go to it.
1: So Thomas, it's really, really good to have you back on the podcast again. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time to chat with us. Uh, today, I'm really excited to hear what you've got to say about 100 game dev interviews. I was wondering if you'd like to start us off with talking about a little bit about yourself, a little bit of context, and if you want to start off with the do's. What what do our listeners at home want to know that they have to do for an interview? What do we like to see?
2: Sure, well, yeah, to, to answer like, what where, where did the title come from and, and giving the context is, um, I should say I, I haven't done hundred interviews, as in I've been interviewed for jobs a hundred times and failed to get them, because that would be a different set of learnings, because I would not be doing well. The, the company Auric o- 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 has grown quite a bit over the last sort of two years. We've grown nearly three times. So um, yeah, sort of 2019 we were about 25 people, and now we're pushing 80. Most of those interviews I've uh, we've done to recruit those people. I've been in on them, not all of them, and, and I'm happy to say I've got some great, great team here with us who assist taking on some interviews and joining me and others. But what I thought is you, you tend to see the same little things coming up again and again. And I thought it might be helpful for people, whether they're interviewing for us or whether they're interviewing for another role. Maybe you can learn some things from here that will help you get that job you really want. So yeah, starting with the do's is a great idea. So here's the first one. And this is this will relate to a don't in a way because the don't's important as well. But I think I think the first one is to be positively honest, and by that I mean I think don't try and be something you're not. And I know that's such trite uh, advice that everybody says, like kind of be yourself. But I think it's really important to because let's pre- let's say for argument's sake you do pretend to be amazing at something that you're not that great at, or you're not you don't you, you can't really do as well. And that that's a slightly slippy thing of judging whether or not you're good at it or not. And you know some people will underjudge how good they are we found and some people overjudge where they are and some people are pretty good at judging where they are Um, but the worst case scenario is you get the job you start doing that role and then you find out you're really not you know you don't have the skills for the level you've come in at and and that's a challenge Um, so I I think trying to be honest about where you are uh, we do we test people in interviews and that test is really about that point of us understanding that where we think somebody is is in line with where they think they are it's not 100 but it, it, it's pretty good so but and by that I mean positively honest I, I think it's like I think in interviews you do want to put your best foot forward you do want to try and show your best side And there's nothing wrong with that because people you know I, I think if you go in into an interview it's like a don't uh, with a very dour feeling down whatever like that you know it's not massively conducive to the whole thing that interviews are about, which is a positive step, like, I'm going to go and get this new job. So I I think being honest, but being positively honest, is what I'd say as a general demeanor is very valuable. This is more specific to game dev, um, is to know what it is you want to do. We get applications for people, especially at graduate stage, or if they've been an indie developer, where they've been doing a bit of everything. They've been doing some game design, they might've been doing art, they might've been doing code, they might've been doing audio, they've been doing some production. And they'll apply for us as a job as, you know, I'd like to be a developer. And it's like, that. that's great. And and I'm sure there are some smaller indies where they want people who are kind of a bit of, you know, jack of all trades, who can do a bunch of stuff. But for us as a studio, most bigger studios, you want people to be a specific thing. You know, we, we need people to specialize at least, you know, programmer, artist, UX, UI, designer, um, et cetera. And then even often then within the art, you know, we do want, Character artists, we do want animators. We want to know what it is you do, um, uh, and and it's okay as well if you if you know enough to know you want to be a programmer rather than just a generic developer, and you don't know whether you're interested in AI or gameplay or low level, high level, whatever your interest might be. That's okay. You know, we we can figure that out with somebody. But if they're not even sure which role they want to take, that that doesn't help us, and and that you know, and I think in an interview. It really weakens your case if you're coming across um, where that, that employer doesn't know where to place you. The next one would be, I think, you know, most people we interview know this one, but but a handful of people don't, and it really shows is know the the person know the company that you're hiring that you're interviewing in, know their work. Like I'm not saying you have to have played all their games and spent um, a bunch of money on various things and stuff like that. You know, there's ways you can play their stuff. If you've, if you've got it, you can look at Let's Plays, whatever. But do know their stuff. Like, there's, I think, nothing more dispiriting when you're interviewing someone and you are mentioned as the, you know, oh, you're interested in this sort of game. Yeah, that's like our game, Mars Horizon. Have you seen that? And they'll go, no, I haven't looked at any of your stuff. It's like, well, we've kind of looked at your CV and we've looked at your links and we've looked at your portfolio. Like, I, I think it's courtesy to have at least have looked at something, what we do, Um so, you know, I, I think that's, that's quite an important and, and quite an easy one to, to make sure you, you can do. Um, the other one I, I think is ask questions. Like, I, I think have a few questions up your sleeves because we'll always ask you to ask questions. And I think that the key thing around that is that questions show your interest in the role. Um, Like when you get a really good question, when you get a really interesting question that makes you think, I think it reflects really well on that candidate because it's like, okay, they've really thought about this. And I think in every role you want somebody who really thinks about what they're going to be doing, really thinks about that. And then the final one, and this is probably the hardest um, to ask for, because I think it, 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 it can, I'm sure it can leave some people feeling a bit vulnerable. But i think in the interview i think it is worth sharing for one of better terms should we say the whole package of 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 what you are and by that i mean we've done interviews with people who during the interview they shared with us say they're neurodiverse or or something else about their their status that is helpful for us as an employer to know now i get why that's a really vulnerable thing to do because you might be judged wrongly someone might have massive misconceptions about what that means and and so you know, in their head, sort of downgrade you as a candidate because they they don't understand, um, you know what what you've said. Um, but on the other hand, I think if you've not shared that, the risk is then that you go into a role, and they they're not ready to to you know your employer then is not is not ready to you know make accommodations is not ready to manage you know, you or, or position your own projects or, or whatever in the best way that helps you work best for you. I get that's that's a harder one, but I I think it's part of that kind of positive honesty. It's like, you know, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, whether, whether that you feel like, I don't think there's a hard and fast answer for that, but, you know, to what degree somebody should share, every, you know, not the minute of detail about themselves, but certainly things that are pertinent to the job they're going to do.
1: I think it's definitely worthwhile being as honest and as vulnerable as you can about that kind of thing. I think I remember in my interview, I was one of the questions I was asked was, why do you want to work at Auroc? And I was honest about why I wanted to work at Auroc Digital. And that was because I had heard about the company culture and the approach to looking after mental health and well-being as well as physical well-being, and the culture of just being able to be honest and to be yourself and to be accepted and for accommodations to be made around being neurodiverse because I am I'm neurodivergent and that was very important to me to make sure that any employment I was going into would look after me as a human being first before anything else like I would go in and do a great job absolutely but I needed to be supported in doing such a great job um so I was I was honest about that in the interview um,
2: no, I think it's good. And I, I think, you know, even taking it further, you know, I think it's OK personally, you know, when I, I'm interviewing someone in, in their questions, if they are like, and, you know, this is me, how can you support me? I think that's a perfectly reasonable question to ask an employer. Uh, and I think the employer should be in a position to answer that, or at least if they can't answer that, I think that challenges them to think, well, maybe we've got a gap here in what we're doing and maybe we need to, you know, do some learning or stuff like that. Um, But but I would also understand if somebody was very reticent to to ask that, yeah.
1: I think from my experience and just talking to other directors, both in our own company and other companies, is that people really like to see a detailed personality-ridden cover letter as well, making sure that the cover letter is reflective of who you are as a human being. That's always, I I think people have talked about their experiences of seeing cover letters that are not exemplifies of you know aren't aren't good examples of who that person is they're not good at demonstrations of who that person is it's a one page opportunity to learn about somebody uh so we want to hear what what their favorite games are what they like to do as a hobby as well as their experiences in the role and the job and why they are the best candidate for the job obviously that's very important too but i think there's an artistry to weaving in your personality in between your skill set
0: just just on um on cover letters like how much do you think is is too much when it comes to really kind of um, bleeding a lot of your personality into what you, not only what you write, but the way you kind of present that? Because I've seen some amazing cover letters where like um, with us all being nerds, I've seen a bunch where like one is designed to look like the, like the back of a figure box, like an action figure box. And it's really, really cool. And this person was going for an art job and it's amazing. And it's really, really cool. But I'm just wondering, like, I'm curious, how much can you overcook that sort of thing? Is there a point where you look and you think, well, this is amazing, but it's quite in my face? Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing?
2: I, I think I think if the cover letter is reflective of you, like, then that is fine. Like if, if if a massively flamboyant, like, you know, cover letter and then, you know, you don't feel that's you in the interview, I, I think there's a disconnect, it's not there. The cover letter ultimately we do read them and we do want core information we're after from that. You know, what are your skills? What is your educational background? What is your experience? What is your interest? But the cover letter is a good way of really, you know, the the, C, the CV obviously contains that stuff. For me, the cover letter, especially if somebody's not directly from the games industry or is switching roles, the cover letter is the position to tell me you really care about it. And you know, for me, some of the the I'm going slightly I don't, but the don't examples of cover letters I've seen is where it's somebody's working in a related field, they've applied for a job in gaming, and they. And don't mention gaming at all in the cover letter or CV. And it's like, are you sure mm-hmm. this is what you want to be doing? Like, sure, surely, you know, I, I get you might have been working, say, as a program in another field. And you haven't had a chance to express your interest in it. But I would at least expect the cover letter then to go and look, are these are the games I really enjoy. Um, so so I, I, I think you... I think you should make sure think about what you write in the cover letter. And if you have the skills and the, the experience and the time to make it look really cool, yeah, I mean, that's great. And especially, yeah, if it's an art role and you've made it look really fantastic, if it's a design role and you include some cute gamified things in it, you know, it definitely helps because it helps us understand who you are a little.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that was that was a really nice summary to the do's. Should we give the don'ts a while? So you have got any advice for people listening? Yeah.
2: <clears throat> so I think the first and the first and the 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 most important one is to understand that if you've worked on past projects or a past employer and it hasn't been a good experience this is a slightly tricky line to thread but basically don't spend the interview running down projects companies and things like that going back to the positively honest I don't think you should lie about it I think if you worked at a company and you weren't happy there I think it's fine to say you weren't happy there but ultimately, and again, I've done a couple of interviews with people where they've spent most of the time saying how miserable they were in a place, how rubbish it was, how badly run it was, and it's like, look, you might only have half an hour of time where we get to talk about this, and if you've spent a chunk of that time telling me how miserable you were at a place, it's like, how does that tell me about you? Like, like, where do I get to see you in that? Now, I get mm. that and that might be hard, especially if that's the reason you're looking for a job is you're not happy. Um, and, and that's what I mean. I think it's OK to acknowledge, look, I'm at this place here and it's not right for me like I, or I'm, I'm not particularly happy there. And, and I, you know, because because, again, if somebody's at a, a job and they're coming to us and they've got a job already, I will naturally ask, you know, why are you moving job? I think it's a reasonable question. Um, uh, and, and I think if, if somebody says, well, I'm just not happy there, I think that's fine. Like you're being honest with it but i'm much more interested in the next stage of you of you coming to us i might ask questions a little bit about the role just so i understand you know what what would make you happy because in a way i wouldn't want somebody to be unhappy in a role they come and join us and they're still unhappy because it's the same issue um so so but you know to me the the you know again i've i've heard people have worked on games and obviously we look up we look on we look on portfolios we look on tvs look at the games you worked on and those, you know, a couple of people worked on games that haven't done particularly well, say the Steam review scores or, or something like that. And they're like, oh yeah, it was rubbish. It was a really bad game. You know, oh, I am so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's like, again, like I, I get, like I've worked on loads of games that have not gone anywhere near where I want them to go. Um, so then the, the counter to that is all right, what do you do with it? If you're saying, don't say, if, if the only game on your CV did really badly on Steam and it's got terrible user reviews and that's the only thing you've got, what, what can you do? I remember doing an interview with somebody and they'd worked on a game and, you know, it, it wasn't a particularly well received game. And I asked about it and they gave the best possible answer. They were like, you know what, we had a year to make that game and it was under really tight turnaround and we had to get this thing out the door. And we worked really hard and we did an amazing job for the, the condition, you know, for the, the, the constraints we had to operate under we we got a project out the door and 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 i'm really proud of that and i thought that is a really good answer yeah you've taken a kind of positively honest yeah yeah. you've acknowledged that it wasn't ideal you've acknowledged that there but what you've told me is the bit i wouldn't see if i just looked a review score what's the human story under that so so i I, and again i think it's the same Mm -hmm. with you know maybe why you're not happy at a company or anything like that then the flip is what would make you happy what would be a thing you're looking for what would fulfill you Um, So so I think that that's an important don't is just don't spend the time running down. Don't run away from it. But at the same time, don't, you know, I want to get to know you a bit. The other one is don't just talk about why this role would be good for you. Like I I get sometimes we get this in cover letters and things like that. Sometimes in interviews where people like, well, this would be really good for my career because of X, Y and Z. Great. I'm glad if it's good for your career coming to work for us. but. Often then, as the interview goes on, it's clear Mm -hmm. sometimes they've not thought about what do we get out of this? So you get a bunch of training and development and you get your career moving forward. Great. I can see why you benefit. But, uh, you know, employment is always an exchange. You're giving us your time and skills. We're giving you money and maybe training and advancement like the exchange needs to be clear. And I think if you've thought about the exchange, which is like, look, if you employ me, um, you will, you know, I will. I'll benefit by this, this, and this. I feel great, and you know what? I'm bringing to your table. I'm bringing my skills at this. I'm bringing my experience at this. I'm bringing my thing of that, and it's like great. Like I, I think that's great to understand, you know, what that exchange is going to look like. Like how how we all benefit because win win scenarios are the best possible outcome in an interview where I, I can see how we gain. I can see how you as the candidate gains. It's like brilliant. It's a big win win. Mm. We're all we're all happy then. Um. So yeah so so don't just you know see the don't just see your narrow bit of that see the wider context that it fits um, and I, mm-hmm. so so i think that's important and then the the other don't is I, I think is and and again this is a slightly harder one is you know don't don't like run yourself down in it like and, and that's a harder thing because again this is less common but I think sometimes people undervalue themselves they undersell themselves a little um, not, not everybody and I think it's I think it's don't you know don't be afraid to put that best foot forward like again go back to this positively mm-hmm. honest um, but it, but it, but again if in the interview you're just telling me that maybe you don't think you're as good a designer as you think you could be you're maybe not as good at coding as you'd like to be. Like, again, if the the flip of that is, and I think in this environment, I would thrive and learn and grow, brilliant. But if it's just, yeah, I, I just don't think I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, that's not, that's not, that doesn't help sell you to me. And all of these do's and don'ts really combine into a thing, which is, I think if there's one thing that I would say, understand about the interview process, all of it from sending your CV into the interview to test to all of it, because ultimately me as an employer, what I'm looking to do is I'm obviously looking to find a candidate that fits, what we're looking for but above and beyond that i'm looking to de-risk that process recruiting people is time consuming and expensive recruiting the wrong person is time consuming expensive way above that like it's really bad it's bad for everybody mm. it's bad for that person because even if they think they want that if they don't fit there if it's not right for them sooner or later it's going to fall apart um if you've got the wrong person in the wrong role uh, or the, the wrong person in the right role um then like I say, eventually it'll fall apart. Really, the, the aim of the job interview is me to de-risk that, me to figure out, you know what, that because you don't really know how you're going to do until that person's in that role. You know, there's definitely been examples of people who've done fine at interview. But once you're in the role, you realize this quite isn't for them. Um so the aim of the interview is to try and reduce the risk of the wrong person going into that role. Um, so the more those do's and don'ts to me are all about de-risking it. Everything we do is about trying to say, What's the probability that our, our feeling that this person is good for the job is backed up by as much evidence as we can in that process? And I think that, that why the reason I say that's so important is it works for both ways. Again, that's why I think the positive honesty, the you know talking about projects in a positive light and everything like that, it all helps to give a, a rounded picture of it. Um, but but also, like I say, you you know the the best thing that the, the worst thing maybe you can get in an interview is a no. But that's only the second worst thing. The best thing you get is a yes. The second worst thing you can get is just a straight no. I would say worse than that still Mm -hmm. is to get a yes, but it's not the right job for you because eventually it'll turn into a no. It would just be a much more protracted and difficult and time consuming and emotional and hard process as everybody figures out that this isn't the right thing for you. Um, And and that's why I think that honesty in the interviews is so important and and from our point of view, de-risking it and from your point of view, de-risking it. So, uh, and that brings to the other useful tool you've got as a a candidate to de-risk it for you. Because again, it might be, we think you're great for the job, but you get in it and it's not for you and you want out, which I, you know, we never want that, but I respect it and understand it, Um, is your opportunity to ask questions. I said, do go in with some questions. Um, And I, I thought, yeah, mm. useful to give a few. I get quite a lot, which again, nothing wrong with answering the same question multiple times. If 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 you've not, um, if you want to get into a bit more detail, if you want to hear it directly, I think that's fine. Um, but but it just gives you a sense of the stuff I do get asked quite a lot. So the first one is obviously we were acquired by Sumo, and you know we we now you know we're no longer. pure indie um how how does that change things and it's a it's a good reasonable question and a good question and the answer is i think we get the best of both we have an indie mentality in that we're still our own thing doing our own stuff um and you know when we were acquired they acquired us because of who we are they didn't assume i didn't want to change us and that was you know one of the promises they sort of made in it and they've absolutely stuck to that And allowed us to still forge our own destiny of what we think we should do so we're basically doing the same sort of thing we were doing pre-acquisition just better and more of it and we've got more investment and security and resources than we've ever had so that's great Um, the acquisition has has done exactly what I I hoped it would be which is it's put us in a much stronger more solid position but we've retained our independence of doing the projects we're interested in the projects that suit us there's no point us doing projects Mm -hmm. that don't fit us which sort of relates to another question I get quite a lot, which is, a, again, a perfectly reasonable question, which is, um, are we doing NFTs? And again, goes back to the first one, which is we still have <laughs> yeah. independence of action, and the answer is no, we're not doing any. Um, so uh, as, as long as I'm studio director, that's not happening. Um, that takes us then to the another question commonly asked, and again, I think perfectly reasonable questions about overtime. Where are we on overtime? And you see lots yep. of our stories now. We have a statement on Overtime. You can find it on our website. I'm sure we can pop a link into the podcast about it. Um, we are anti-crunch. We believe Overtime um, is antithetical, I think I've got the right term there, to making good games. It burns people out. Burnt out people don't make good games. They don't make good decisions. They don't make interesting creative decisions. It Ultimately, if people are required to crunch, it's a failure of planning of the project. For us, the levers we pull on projects, if things aren't going, you know, if we are running out of time, they're not going well, are, uh, well, can we drop features? Can we add resources? Can we add time? The thing we don't do is, can we take all of your spare time? Um, I would say that's not quite mm. the same as um, somebody maybe shifting their hours a little bit in order to deal with a client we're working with in a different time zone for a bit. That's not necessarily the same as sometimes people doing a little bit of extra time Um on a on a bank holiday or something like that in order to cover a particularly big thing like a, a launch um, which you know because we might have a a, a good example of the the skull sale where we announced Bolt Gum myself and a couple of our marketing team did a couple of hours the next day it was a it was the Jubilee bank holiday but obviously it wasn't a bank holiday in America and we just announced this huge you know project for us so we wanted to be able to respond to some of the player mm. questions but you know actually you know I, I was perfectly happy to do that and we got that time back the next day so it's not to me it's like I think where and, and I worked in a studio that did do um mandatory as far as they legally could get away with it crunch and it was debilitating and you know your, your life just becomes a tunnel of work and sleep because you're doing like four or five nights a week of overtime and then one of the days on the weekend and you're doing it for in that case literally years that the studio did and after mm. all of that overtime and all those promises they made to people about how if we just get around this corner it would be working um the studio still went under so i didn't save them um ultimately and i think that's the really big lesson there uh and then yeah the the, the final question that i get asked quite a lot is what would i be working on and the difficulty here is we can't really answer that uh without an nda in place um because we've got a bunch of projects that we've not yet announced the reason we can't say it is we can't really you know we've got agreements with partners or uh, if it's our own projects we've got our original ip projects in production um you know our ability to make a splash from that project being announced is a really big deal to us you know sure we're part of a bigger company but we're not we're not massive and you know we've got to kind of jealously guard every opportunity we can to promote our games and the, the great work that our teams do. Um, so yeah, we, we sort of focus on there. So yeah, that, that's kind of run through the questions that we get. I don't know if anybody's got any thoughts or any other questions
0: that I might have missed. I've got a few questions, your honor. Um, okay. Two slightly kind of <laughs> not, not silly questions, but sort of thinner questions. I, I'm of a generation where going to any, any sort of interview, you, you were always encouraged to of course wear smart clothes, even a suit in some cases, uh, if not all cases and to ask for feedback afterwards if you weren't necessarily successful is that still apparent within games to to you know I, I guess like dress smartly of what is an extension of yourself but not necessarily suits like little things like that I think can sometimes throw people off like is that still apparent do you think
2: um
0: I don't think so I mean most of the interviews we do now are all remote
2: so um yeah, I mean, I suppose you could wear something inappropriate to an interview. I can imagine that happening. I've not had that happen. Um, but I think, pardon me, I, th- I think in general, you know, we're not that sort of formalized industry that we would expect somebody to do that. In terms of the, you know, the, the other part of what you're asking, the feedback thing, that's a bit harder. We tend not to give feedback. And I think the reason is that to give really honest feedback you would have to understand the context in which we're giving feedback. And by that, I mean, let's say we're recruiting a UX UI designer and somebody applies for that role and they don't get it. The feedback they would assume is like, well, what could they do better? Like that's the useful feedback to them. What could they do better for next time? But the reason they might not have got the job might be nothing to do with that. We might not be able to offer them. It just might be somebody with better skills and experience. Got it. And that's not that helpful to you. It might be that the particulars of that project, like the the nuance of it, the, the, you know, what genre of project it is and everything like that. You just might not have had that experience and us giving you the feedback of saying, Oh, you didn't have experience in this genre of strategy game and the other candidate we picked did. Well, that, again, that doesn't necessarily help you because the next, if you go, right, I'm going to go and learn that. And then you go and learn this sub genre of things and the next interview you go for, they're like, Oh no, we didn't want somebody with that experience. What I mean is that that doesn't necessarily help you. So for us, because the experience is because the reason we often say no is is partly specific to what we are what we're looking for and the other candidates i I don't think the the, i don't think the feedback is as useful as often people would like it to be so yeah that's a bit of a it's a bit of a tricky one really um because uh, my biggest worry with giving feedback is we'd send somebody off down the wrong road that we just feel they're not right for us we give them that feedback, they go away, take that on board, try and change who they are, and what they're about, and actually the next job they're gonna apply for, they're perfect for, and they shouldn't change anything. So um, yeah, we, we tend not to for that reason.
0: What's your take on, uh, say, say someone's in an interview, and it's going really, really well, and the, uh, like for both parties, and it comes up in conversation that that person, uh, whether they're a designer or whatever, or that they're, they're, they're designing their own game, but it's a direct competitor to something that we are yet to announce and is is that like that there's a conflict there conflict of interest potentially so like does it simply become a case of well that person needs to make a decision do you loosely bring up the fact that this game that they've spent five minutes talking about which is giving you all the good feels towards this person but then all of a sudden it's like oh hold on there's a conflict like how does that change How, how can things kind of react with that as part of the conversation
2: yeah, I mean, it, it broadly goes to what we call outside interests, which I'm sure um, both of you, we, you must have come across this. Um, so outside interests is the way that we, um, if, if you're working on something in your own time, be it commercial or not, be it a game or not, then you just sort of declare it to the company and that's really there to protect you. The company's not interested in owning your thing, um, but it is interested in making sure that, like you say, that you, you don't, you're don't you're not working on a brewing simulation game in your own time while working on a brewing simulation game in our time and it's like how could those two things not end up conflicting or if you're doing work for hire and you know you're working on a a a big major title and you're working on your own one in your own time you you know you can see how that gets there but the i would say the i've never really encountered something where and, and this is in many years of doing this where the specific thing that somebody's working on is so close to what we're doing that it's a problem i've not actually encountered it and most of the time and even if you even if it's like well i'm working on a turn-based strategy game involving rabbits and they're also working on a turn-based strategy game involving rabbits the the even you know something like that how you go about it how we would go about it the, the nuance of it, everything it wouldn't wouldn't be uh, yeah just It's hard to see a scenario where we'd have to say to somebody you'd have to pick one or the other um so yeah i I, i've never seen that come up and i'd be surprised if it did because every every time i've dealt with somebody with working on their own thing in their own time it's we've always been in a position to be able to say thanks for letting us know that's great carry on doing your thing
1: no, I've just been. That's been really, really good to hear. I've been ruminating a lot on Thomas the the point, the very astute point you made made about one of the don'ts is to make sure you don't run yourself down and and you know try and overcorrect and be over modest about maybe your skill set because I think when you're going into interviews when you're doing job searching it can be very. Uh, kind of dehumanizing as a process you can be feel very demoralized maybe the place that you're working you really really hate it and you don't feel up for selling yourself because you you have a really low self-esteem about yourself in that time period for any number of consequences or or examples or reasons and I guess my advice or my thoughts there is just thinking about similar friends who have been in that position and myself in that position where you're trying to find a job that will potentially turn things around for you and make you feel a lot happier and feel good about yourself is to to lean on the support of friends and family and surround yourself with people who will lift you up and make you feel like you are ready for this and you are capable of this because you are this is the thing you are applying for the job because you are cut out for it this is where you where you should be or this is where you would like to be uh, but it's about making sure that you hear that yourself and sometimes we need to hear it from the people closest to us to believe it I think that's what I've been thinking about Good
0: yeah no that's that's good insight um well listen thanks so much Thomas for your for your time today I think this um this uh this episode is really going to help a lot of potential candidates I think um I I love that we've got a bit of a sub-series developing of you know the the sort of the 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 back workings of of how things go in, in terms of interviews and and how we kind of work as a studio I think it's really really helpful to a lot of people so thanks so much for your time
2: yeah and if anybody is interested in working for us then auric slash jobs and you'll be able to find links to the other podcasts and what opportunities we've got there and if you don't see something there and you think we might be interested email jobs at auric you can always now go through to our colleague danielle who will um, pick up the conversation with you from there
0: wow Uh, comprehensive again from Thomas Rawlings there Um, I I think we touched on some points Jess where you know I I can't stress enough how important it is for listeners and anyone who's looking to to touch base with us and maybe apply for a role it's really important that you touch base with these kind of episodes because yes it's it's super crucial to look up the games that we've made uh, play them if you can or at least look at let's plays and, and look them up on YouTube and whatnot but listening back to these episodes like we're giving you like or rather Thomas is is giving candidates golden golden intel super super crucial right
1: yeah i really feel like tom had some some absolute stardust there in terms of advice the do's the don'ts giving examples of questions as well to ask because i know that i myself always really struggle with coming up with questions to ask interviewers because i know it's important to do they want to hear more about me and how I think and the things that I want to know about them like it's good to show that you're curious that you're inquisitive it's a really good skill and like I think personality aspect to have is to be curious but I always really struggle with coming up with whatever it is that I I want to ask them because I'm like there's such a huge scope to ask right when you're coming to this new job so it's nice to have some some tips from Thomas there
0: yeah absolutely I think um it's it's such a challenge to to come into an interview where you want to be well rehearsed, you want to be well informed and you want to have done some, some solid research. Um, ultimately it, it comes down to that. And I think again, listening to these episodes, getting this kind of Intel is going to prove really useful. And if you do that research in the, in the back end of things, you're just arming yourself with mm. answers to potential questions, but also you're arming yourself with, uh, or rather arming your curiosity. You know, it's good to have mm. that curiosity and you're just kind of giving you more of an arsenal to say, well, I can ask about this. They recently announced this and they've worked about this in the past and they did a great a great blog post on this sort of thing. Like we we as a studio, we outreach a lot in terms of what, what we offer back. Like there's a whole host of things that our fabulous um, marketing team put out and, and blog postings and all this kind of stuff. Like I, I'm not sure what else we could be doing right now. We're, we're very active with trying to build as much of a bridge as possible, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and I think that's really apparent, I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think our outreach is huge. Our horizons ahead are broad. The landscape for Oracle Tool is gorgeous and expansive and beautiful. And I'm really looking forward to, to it and to having new people join us as well. This is the most exciting part about knowing that interviews are happening is that we get new people joining our team soon Uh, so i look forward to meeting everyone
0: absolutely well thanks so much jess again wonderful contribution always fab having you on um having you on having you in like how how do you describe that with a podcast like a remote podcast i don't know like in in the digital ether or something i don't know i'm
1: rambling oh yeah it's like that it's like that do you get in a boat or on a boat and it's whether you have to like step into it it's like a whole thing so do we step into a podcast or do we step onto a podcast
0: well it's not physical. So, like, we don't step onto it's it. We physical. step into. We digitally step into the pod. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't think. I couldn't think of a better way to end this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> thanks. thanks, <for> most <laughs> thanks see you the next one. All right. In the fast-paced realm of the games industry, the best way to keep up to date with everything happening at Orc Digital is to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, using the handle at Auroc digital, And we're on LinkedIn too, as oroc digital limited We also encourage you to sign up to our mailing list to receive regular newsletters that go into more detail about our projects and to join our community Discord, who are the first to hear our updates. You can subscribe to the mailing list and join the Discord on our website, orocdigital.com. And whilst you're on the website, Be sure to check out our recruitment page under aurocdigital.com forward slash jobs, where we post all employment opportunities. Links to all these socials and more are in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.